0: open field radio like subscribe share and review wherever podcasts are found open field radio cool people having conversations about agriculture and life where ag and life collide brought to you by gowan tim asseter pumpkin farmer floyd ada texas the pumpkin capital of america we talk it all right now Hello America and a growing audience around the world. Welcome to Open Field Radio. We're kind of your guiding light to just cool things in agriculture. Kind of like a Rand McNally map. Do you remember those? Are those even still a thing? Used to be if you lived in the big city, you could buy the book and it was, I don't remember how many pages it was. It was a thick book, like a phone book of maps Rand mcnally that would be us we're kind of like a map to all cool things in agriculture and this episode it's all about pumpkins and why not so we're headed to floydata texas yep in the panhandle of west texas cool little town the pumpkin capital of america tim asseter he grows pumpkins and celebrates pumpkins and we're gonna have a great time and we'll get to all of it in give or take 90 seconds open field radio I don't know about you, but it seems like everywhere I turn right now, there's something about jobs and the abundance of jobs available out there. Well, here's one to throw in the mix. Skip the job. How about a career at Gowan? Maybe you're in agriculture. Maybe you're in science. Maybe you're none of that. Check it out at gowanco.com careers. Great opportunities available, and they're all cool. Careers right here in America and around the world. Come see it for yourself. That's gowanco.com careers. And tell them you heard it on Open Field Radio. So you know when you're digging around online and you find those lists of if you like this, then that, Well, this one's pretty cool. Maybe it's one of those they know you buy the company you keep kind of things. But I found a list that said if you like open field radio, then you might like these podcasts. Check it out. How about Smartless with Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett? Not bad. How about the Ben Shapiro show from the Daily Wire? How about Dateline NBC? How about the Daily Show from the New York Times? That's only the biggest podcast in the world. NPR News and Conan O'Brien's podcast. You know what? You know them by the company they keep. That's pretty good company. That's why you listen to Open Field Radio. Coast to coast and around the world. You're listening to Open Field Radio. Open field radio season two, episode four with Tim Assiter, Floyd Ada, Texas pumpkins. It all starts right now. How are you besides busy? I'm tired, my friend. How was your big pumpkin event?
1: Our pumpkin day was the largest probably that it's ever been people wise. I think it sales in my farm. It would be considered the same way. We had, uh, Several thousand people come through Florida and come through my farm, which is two separate places, and had a had a great time. Of course, it was 92 degrees out. That's not normal for an October. Okay. And then food those food trucks had lines in them. But let me see if I can put this in something that you can use. Um, we had the greatest pumpkin day Florida has ever seen, with more people coming, more events. And the best pumpkins we've ever been able to offer them and so it turned out a huge
0: success. Floyd Ada, Texas. Now give me an idea, paint me a picture of what Floyd Ada is and what it looks like.
1: Floyd Ada, Texas is in the middle or on the actually the outer edge of the largest cotton patch in the world. We have irrigated cotton, we have dryland cotton, we have a little bit of corn. This year we've got a little bit of sorghum maize and uh It's been a place that has been irrigated for years since the 1950s. Now we have shrunk back to where we have uh, a little bit less irrigation. The town was about 5,000, 5,500 people in 1971 when I graduated high school. There's about 2,500 people here now. Uh, We were able to keep a grocery store and and a couple of convenience stores open what was once eight or ten of those kind of stores. We've still got a John Deere dealership. There you go. And we've got uh, Don Don Hardy's Race Cars, who's famous uh, for that. But mainly we're a cotton-raising community with a a good school system of about 2,500 people.
0: Well, how did pumpkins work into a cotton town? Mark, I'm going to tell you the long story, and
1: you can cut (laughs) it down as much as you need. So So let me start where you can cut from. All right. It's an interesting story about pumpkins in Florida. And I don't want to give you all the history, but in 1541, okay, <laughs> Coronado came across this country. Yes, sir. And when he came across as the first discoverer, he was about to starve to death, and he was out of water and out of food, and he was crossing the Llano Estacada, which is the 80-mile stretch that you saw in Lonesome Dove that they, they had all the problems running out of water. And he ran up on an Indian camp that was roasting pumpkins. For that to be the history of this area, and then for Florida, Texas, to become Pumpkin Capital, USA, is more than coincidence. Coronado actually has a bunch of relics that he left here that are in the museum in Florida, Texas. And so I think it's more than coincidence. We have wonderful weather. We have wonderful farmers. Uh, and somewhere in the early late early 60s, late 50s, a gentleman named B.A. Slim Ross, Robertson listened to his uh, little red-headed wife that had him growing grapes and a bunch of other products. He put in five acres of pumpkins and a little stand on the side of the road. A couple of years later, he received a letter that said, The Pumpkin Man, Florida, Texas. And he received (laughs) that letter, which is very, very unusual. After that, the fruit brokers started coming out of Dallas and shipping those pumpkins there. It peaked with about 35 growers with about 3,000 acres in Florida. And in
0: 1987,
1: we dubbed ourselves Pumpkin Capital USA. We started Pumpkin Days. Since then, the trend has been really, really different And in that it is we only have three growers now, from 35 to three, and from 3,000 acres to about 1,000 or 1,200 acres. But I believe we raise almost as many pumpkins now as we did back then as we have done a much better job with our irrigation systems, with our fertility programs, with our pesticides, and uh, with the knowledge of growing pumpkins. We have a great area for it. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons we have a success, but we also have some very diligent people.
0: Just for fun, a quick little history on pumpkins. You know what? Pumpkins are believed to have originated in Central America 7,500 years ago. This information comes from PBS.org. First, pumpkins held very little resemblance to the sweet, bright orange varieties we know and love. Mm-hmm. Original pumpkins were smaller, much harder, and probably bitter flavored. Though the seeds are popular today, of course, the pumpkin was originally grown. That's right for the meaty flesh and pumpkins were among the first crop grown for human consumption in north america pretty cool one of america's first pumpkin recipes was included in john jocelyn's new england's rarities discovered published in early 1670 and if you're keeping score at home pumpkin pie didn't show up till the 1800s see i told you it was fun i love on the website it says we produce the world's finest pumpkins and lots of them how many is that
1: Every year, we try to count how many pumpkins that go out. And this year, I've come up with a different calculus. Uh-huh. And I'm going to use this calculus. We Our biggest grower will ship, I'm going to say, an average of 12 semi-loads of pumpkins per day. 20 in his peak time, but you've got a little bit that you've got to taper down. The first load was shipped at the end of August. And I'm going to say his last load will be shipped toward the end of this week. Okay. So let's take, there's 48 bin boxes, like you buy watermelons over the grocery store,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, in a semi-trailer. And if you, there's about 40 count of a regular basketball-sized jack-o'-lantern pumpkin, okay?
0: All right. So
1: that makes it at two thousand pumpkins per truckload. And I'll let you do the calculus in there. <laughs> <laughs> the, We ship a lot, a lot a lot of pumpkins. And when you think about that, you think about that little mini pumpkin, a lot of people take that. So they're not all basketball size. So I'm not sure that we couldn't move that average from 2,000 pumpkins per trailer load up to 3,000, pumpkins per trailer load. But it's a lot
0: of pounds of pumpkins. And those little ones are really popular now, aren't they? I just had a gentleman
1: call me. He wanted 10 more bins for the end of the year and was thinking of trying to order... 60 boxes of them, which, is about, which uh, there's about a 1,000 per box. I mean, they're doing a lot of things with those. And the, the schools and the churches, uh, churches are huge, at bringing out kids, uh, corn mazes. And what they do is they charge an the admission and give those kids that little miniature pumpkin. And so it has become a huge product for us.
0: That's amazing. What's the challenge to raising pumpkins in Texas, or is there? It sounds like you guys grow them like crazy.
1: Mark, how long is your podcast?
0: <laughs> as long as it
1: needs to be, my friend. Everybody knows who's, Murphy's Law. <laughs> sure. Is that everything that can go wrong will go wrong? When you're a pumpkin farmer, you consider Murphy an optimist. Oh, my. On my farm, I was hailed out on July the 25th on the largest patch of pumpkins that I had. And that's unusual. I mean, that, 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 it was a total wipeout. But because of the rains this year, the, the, the chemicals that we used to help keep the weeds down did not work. Okay. And so we had to do more plowing. We had whole hands in the field hoeing those pumpkins. And then we had a beautiful growing season. It was cool. It was almost too cool for cotton. We had plentiful rain this year, which is, hasn't happened since 2010. And so we had the beautiful, most beautiful crop growing that there was. And then this little guy, he's called a worm. He gets on watermelons. He came in, and he started eating some of the different kinds of pumpkin, and he just eat the skin off of it. He didn't hurt the pumpkin. He just made it ugly. <laughs> and most, Nobody wants an ugly pumpkin. Sure, sure. So uh, bin boxes went up about 40% this year. Pallets doubled in price. Everybody's heard on the news about how the trucking is tough. Trucking was up 30, 40 percent, and you can't even get a truck to go to certain areas. And so there are many challenges, and i just like to say Murphy was an optimist.
0: Now, you you mentioned the weeds. What weeds and what do you use to control them?
1: In farming cotton now, we, we used Roundup for years, and everybody's seen the commercial on television about Roundup uh our aerial applicator says he'll drink it. He's not afraid of it at all. But those <laughs> weeds have become resistant to Roundup. And and in cotton, when we, we we will plant cotton in a field for three years and use Roundup and kill all the weeds in it all year, wonderfully with the with the with the spray. But and then on the fourth year it's pretty clean. You can plant pumpkins there and and go forward. Those weeds have become resistant to Roundup. And there are new technologies and new chemistries that we're that we're using. But most pumpkins, the things that control the weeds, control the pumpkins too, and so we have to be very, very, very careful. There is one product called Sandy. It was developed for watermelons and and pumpkins. Everybody has the has a can of Lysol in their bathroom for their shower mm-hmm. because you get mildew in there when you get when it's humid. You get mildew, right? Right. Well, in a pumpkin field, those leaves are about the size of an elephant's ear. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but they're huge, <laughs> and they overlap, and they create a little uh, very humid uh, atmosphere underneath, down in the bottom of those plants, and uh, it gives us two issues. One of them is is uh, mildew, and what we do is we spray some very very safe chemicals for us. It's much like Lysol that that you that that prevents. That becoming on those, and if you've grown squash in your garden, you've seen that white chalky stuff on there, sure That's what that is, yep, and everybody everybody's probably seen that, and uh but we've got some great chemistries now that we take care of that. The other problem those leaves give us while I'm on that subject is everybody wants to make their order about September fifteenth right after Labor Day. Well you can walk out there and those pumpkins are green, those leaves are green, those leaves are up about your thighs and the pumpkins are down around your ankles. I like to tell people, we're not Amazon. We don't have an inventory. You can be walking through that field and find plenty of pumpkins, then you won't see any for the rest of the way down the field, and it either has to do with the way the water got to them or, or the way the, the bees fertilize those those flowers. It takes bees to to fertilize our, our flowers. We all put those out, and so they're just a, a menagerie of things that can be correct or incorrect in different parts of the field different. So even though we think we have something out there sometimes, it's very difficult to figure out how to take those orders early.
0: And what kind of weeds are you fighting?
1: Well, there's, a, uh, there's many kinds of weeds. The, the, the old careless pigweed that everybody's seen, mm-hmm. the little seeds form at the top. Uh, it's usually one that's pretty bad. Sometimes sometimes there's grasses in those fields. The, there's there's several other weeds. The ironweed, what we call the ironweed, the one that's real green that gets big and you usually break your whole handle out trying to <laughs> trying to get it out of there. The the Russian thistle tumbleweed sometimes is a problem in those fields. But most generally it's pigweed and and um uh, we, we try to do tillage a lot less, whether it's a cotton farm or anything else. We have found that our farm and our ground does better But we found that we don't till as much as what we used to. And what we may have to go back to doing is doing some tillage that we haven't been doing in the past few years. You're listening to Open Field Radio.
0: You looking for outstanding nuts edge and broadleaf weed control? Sandia herbicide. Unsurpassed control of both yellow and purple nuts edge as well as many broadleaf weeds. Susceptible weeds stop growing within 24 hours. It's easy to use, no mechanical incorporation required, and rain fast after four hours. Boom. Sandia is readily taken up by both roots and foliage and translocated throughout the weed. First visual effects appear seven to 10 days after application. So, Looking for outstanding nuts edge and broadleaf weed control? Sandia Herbicide. For more information on Sandia Herbicide, visit GowanCo.com. Always read and follow label directions. From Gowen Company. I feel like the more shows we do, the more we get to know each other. You know what I mean? I know you. You know me. Oh, look, we're just regular people, right? I mow my yard. You mow your yard. Regular stuff. And when it comes to promoting Open Field Radio, I need regular people to tell other regular people this show is happening. So tell somebody. Knock on somebody's door. Call them up. Send them a text, whatever. And tell them you're listening to Open Field Radio. And by golly, they should be, too. It'll be awesome, I promise, because that's what friends do at Open Field Radio. Quick shout-out to some places we know are listening to Open Field Radio. Hello to White River, South Dakota, Bentendorf, Iowa, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Wichita Falls, Texas, Homer, Louisiana, Frankfurt, Germany, and Sao Paulo, Brazil. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Nina Wilson, and I listen to Open Field from the lowest capital of the world, Yuma, Arizona. From the Gowan Global Studio deep inside the Lee Hotel, this is Open Field Radio. How did, you said, uh, was it 1987 you said that Floyd Ada became the pumpkin capital of America?
1: Well, we had some growers then, and I give Ann Carthel, Carthel Brothers, who who grew pumpkins here, a lot of credit. They got with the Chamber of Commerce, and they said, you know, this pumpkin, we've been raising them for so long, it's it's gotten famous, and we should uh, promote that. And so what they did is they got with the chamber, decided to have our Pumpkin Day celebration, which we had October 9th, last Saturday, and uh, and promoted that and, and put out some flyers. And they had little kids' games where they could put up some bowling pins and roll the pumpkin at them or threw a mini in a coffee can, a costume contest, mm-hmm. a seed-spitting contest, a pumpkin pie-eating contest is always fun. And they did that, and they they really were successful with it. And what we found is that you can register the name. Everybody's got a registered name. Look on any can of food. It's got a little R out there beside it. Sure. And so we are registered as Pumpkin Capital USA. We have some friends in uh, in Iowa that disagree with us because they (laughs) raise the canning pumpkins. Okay. And they do raise more acres. And if you go to a Del Monte or a Libby Ken, you will find their pumpkins in there. And if you go to somebody's beautiful front porch with all 250 different varieties available, you'll see the Floyd pumpkin there. All of those (laughs) different colors, different shapes. And that's what we try to do.
0: And Floyd Ada's proud of it, right?
1: We are very proud of it. We have a lot of people that are not involved in the pumpkin business that, that love it. The Dallas Arboretum is a beautiful place. Go to the website and look how beautiful their pumpkins are. And they do, we had a lady from here this, this weekend that told us they did a pumpkin roll every morning to go out there and make sure all of their pumpkins were still good. And they make patterns and build houses out of pumpkins. And it's it's absolutely beautiful. And That Florida pumpkin can be seen at the Arboretum if you want to see a real pretty sight.
0: So because I host a podcast that talks about cool things in agriculture, and he brought up the Dallas Arboretum, I thought I'd look it up for myself. And you can too. DallasArboretum.org. And I'm looking right on their calendar right now for right now. And by golly, he ain't kidding. Pumpkin scavenger hunts are happening. There's the Dallas gourd patch. All kinds of cool things on here. And you know what? The place just looks amazing. So the pumpkins are there, just like you said. But, boy, there's a lot of other things here. Great-looking place. This could be a road trip. So I think the thing, when you think of pumpkins and pumpkin festivals and fun and all of that, you think about big pumpkins. So talk to me. Do you guys have, I mean, big big pumpkins in Floyd Ada
1: is 300 pounds big enough
0: for you. (laughs) It's a big pumpkin. Holy cow. Is that this year? Well,
1: you're going to have a problem getting it to your car. The pumpkin is called a prize winner. It is actually an F one cross of two different pumpkins and they, the seat is about $440 for a thousand seat. And that, that's a huge price. Okay. Okay. Uh, And it's because they actually go in, this has actual geneticists that go in, and a pumpkin has a female flower and a male flower, and they rubber band off that female flower to where it cannot be pollinated. And then they take a little paintbrush and go to the second parent and come back and do that and 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 then rubber band it off again. So it's manual labor, terrible, but that's called a prize winner pumpkin. That's the name of the seed. And those pumpkins will get up 250, 300 pounds. I think our average shipping weight on them is probably 120, 125, maybe 150 in there. Uh, it's a beautiful pumpkin. It has a flat back because it has so much weight. Now, you asked me about the big pumpkin. That's the one we raise for commercial shipping. If you look online at some of these contests to where they're raising the big pumpkin, they actually use one of the parents of that prize winner pumpkin, which is called the Bill's Atlantic Giants. And there are some of those that have got up to 2,500 pounds. But what those guys do is they plant one plant. They do what they call a Christmas tree pattern with it. They cut all the fruit off but one. And they have even been known to take a needle and put it in the vine and uh, feed it milk. So, I mean, they baby it. We do all of ours in field conditions. And we have found that 300 pounds is enough, especially if we can get a few thousand of them.
0: Who's buying a 300-pound pumpkin?
1: There's a lot of people that do. I
0: have a couple
1: that has been coming here for 10 years from seven hours away, and he gets seven of the biggest pumpkins, and he takes a lot of pride in the people of his community driving by his house every year to see what his display looks like. It's a whole lot like Christmas time. And I'll tell you, you ask about that pumpkin, I'll give you some information about it. Uh, that pumpkin will last a long time in most instances. We have people that actually stack them on top of each other, and they'll run a fence post down through them after it gets cooler. I'm talking about in December, mm-hmm. and they will flock it to look like a snowman. <laughs> Another client of mine takes those out, and he paints them red, green, blue, and silver, and he takes him a bale of hay and puts it in a trash can and ties a bow on it, Puts it out in front of his time tree in front of his house and has a beautiful Christmas scene. So pumpkins, uh, they 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 will stay through Christmas a lot of time. You can't let them freeze; they're eventually going to go down. But it's uh, we've kept some of our fairy tale pumpkins for three years. No reason to buy a dehydrator if you can keep that pumpkin and have fresh pumpkin in your pantry all the time.
0: Well, I hope by this point this has piqued your curiosity, even maybe just a little bit. You want to see more of this, be sure to check out their website, pumpkinranch.com. Everything is there, everything he's talking about. You want to see pictures of all the different kinds of pumpkins and the things. You want to see the farm. You want to see the events. You want to see any of that? Pumpkinranch.com. Check it out for yourself. Talk to me about your specialty pumpkins. What's that all about? The specialty pumpkins. We have seven colors of pumpkins. The sea people were genius. Everybody knows what a
1: jack-o'-lantern pumpkin is, and we have maybe 50 or 70 variety, five varieties of those now but with different shape. They have different uh, characteristics, big stem, little stem, tall and skinny, short and fat. Uh, but when you get from there, you go to the specialty pumpkin, and I think that's what Florida really is famous for, is how many different varieties we, we raise. And the seed people were very intelligent. One of the first specialty pumpkins we've had since maybe back in the 60s is called a Cinderella. That's that little flat pumpkin that is, it turns really red and beautiful. The deer love it. It's very sweet. And Cinderella's not a real story, so the next one they came up with was a fairy tale. That is a green pumpkin, emerald green, and it turns to a leathery brown. It's very dense. So it'll last a long time, and it has great cooking qualities. Then we move to the white pumpkin, which we call a ghost pumpkin. There's a flat one, and there's a round one, and there's a big one, and there's a small one. There's a lot of different, different white, or the ghost pumpkins, as we call them, to, to stick in that entire category. And after you get past that, we've got gray, green, pink. That's called a porcelain doll. We've got a tan, two different tan pumpkins. And then there's some others that are in there that are a little bit different color, that's what we consider our specialty pumpkins. Some people sometimes call them gourds. They're not. They're pumpkins. And usually they have good eating quality, and usually they're referred to as specialty or heirloom pumpkins.
0: This is Marshall Trimble, Scottsdale, Arizona. You must be the Marshal. Arizona's official state historian. Season 1, Episode 5, and you're listening to Open Field Radio. You mentioned that you had more growers in the past than you have now. What's the what's the reason for the decrease, and what's the future of pumpkins in Floydada look like?
1: Well, first of all, you remember what I said about about uh, uh, the optimist labor. (laughs)
0: Oh yeah. yeah, labor
1: is one thing. Every pumpkin has to be handled several times. We windrow them, put them over so we can get the tractors through the field. We lift them up, put them in the trailer. We take them to the barn. We sort them. We put them in bin boxes. And, they're ready to go. and every bit of that has to be done by hand. Our neighbors that I was telling you about that I say our neighbors in Iowa that handle that can pumpkin they use all mechanical because if they scratch it it doesn't matter. But we can't scratch ours because some lady's gonna want it pretty on her porch. And so every bit of it is hand labor and I don't know if you've been to any of your fast food restaurants lately, but every one of them have a sign out that says help wanted. Right. The last let me talk about twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Our labor that normally comes from South Texas, that migrates up and does a lot of the harvest of a lot of different fruits and vegetables, did not come because of the hurricanes down there, and they had really good jobs in construction cleaning that stuff up. And we had a heck of a time getting labor in 2020 and 2021. One of the things we found, you had the pandemic. So everybody wondered, do we need to plant the pumpkins? Will those people come out to the farms and get those minis? Will those children's school tour buses come? We're very, very proud of what we, what we do. And we took a risk and we planted in 2020, we had one of the best pumpkin years that we've ever had. And I think simply it was the people wanting to get out of their house and what better place out on five acres where you can stay isolated, but you can still have family activities and you can get out of the house and go do something. It has made our demand for 2021 huge. And I think 2021 is going to end up very much better even than 2020. But that really shocked us. And uh, I think that it's it's a great thing. And I'll throw this in here. I want to thank our farmer every day, three times a day, except snap time and thank him twice then, because he does do a great job of providing for us. And we're just a small part of that with a lot of fun thrown in with it. And thank you to the American people for... Staying strong and getting
0: out. You know, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't direct you draw your attention to a parallel show to this very subject right here. Open Field Radio, Season 1, Episode 8, Jim Gibson and Tim Buck Farms, Christmas Tree Farms. A real parallel here between what Tim has going on with the pumpkins and, of course, the connectivity and families getting out there and all of that and what Jim has with the Christmas tree farm. Similar things happen, Families coming out, everybody's getting together, having a great time, and it's all about that kind of connectivity. Check it out.
1: We're gonna be open for three more weeks and I hope that we have a lot of people that come out and ride our little pumpkin train. We've got a little pumpkin train that that we pull the kids around with and, and we let them go out through uh, the field and we've got some old horses back there and some sheep and goats that they come out. And uh, we even find kids come from ranches, love to go back there and feed our horses. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> those city kids really love coming. Tomorrow, we have 55 people coming from a uh, what we used to call an old folks home. It's not anymore. It's a senior citizen's village. Sure. And those people come out here, and they absolutely enjoy it. If we do happen to have some tomatoes or some green tomatoes, or and they remember the old stuff, Mark, you don't remember this. I'm sure you're a young man. <laughs> but when you, when you think of that guy that's got them corn stalks and they've got an old mailbox and they've got a, a, they've got a little wagon or something out there, they got a bale of hay and then they put pumpkins on it. Where did that come from? Why did they do it that way? When you go back to the 50s and before, people didn't have refrigeration. What did they eat? They ate food that would store without refrigeration. And what was that? Pumpkins, sweet potatoes, potatoes. Uh, Winter squash, like the Turks turban, the uh, acorn squash, the butternut squash, the pescetti squash. We raise all of that, and that is where that comes from. And when those people started to migrate to town, what they remembered at grandpa and grandma's is those shocks of corn and that hay. And those pumpkins out there, those weren't out there for decoration. Those were out there because that was what was going to get through the winter. And it was a very, very intricate part of our lives.
0: Well, this is truly community at this point, isn't it? It is community.
1: And uh, you ask about Floyd Aid, I'll go back to that. Our community has supported us. And all of them, where they raise pumpkins or ship pumpkins or have anything to do with pumpkins at all, we take a lot of pride in our pumpkins from Florida, and we want to see. You can't do this for the money. Nearly every grower has three or four generations on the farm, and if you didn't, you couldn't do it because we work seven days a week. As my dad used to say, from can to kaint. Uh we are open eight to six, but we work from can to can't, and uh, that sometimes is before sunrise and after sundown, and our community jumps in there with us, and they certainly
0: support us and help us out open field radio like share subscribe we keep our boots muddy and our ears tuned to the thorny challenges of agriculture that just sounds cool doesn't it because it's the truth the gowan group is a global family-owned agriculture solution business headquartered in yuma arizona gowan specializes in developing marketing and processing agricultural inputs such as crop protection products seeds and fertilizers. Gowan has grown markets in the majority of the agricultural regions globally. A deep respect for science and a passion for agriculture drives Gowan Company to help growers solve their critical pest and plant health issues. Let's say it together, Gowan Company cool people having conversations about agriculture and life open field radio and now back to open field radio with our guest floydada texas pumpkin farmer tim asseter what's your favorite thing about raising pumpkins
1: the smiles on kids faces they put a lot of smiles on the pumpkins and they put some frowns and sometimes they light a candle on them and I've seen those pumpkins sometimes say, man, I got lit last night. But those pumpkins (laughs) make people happy. I am very, very farm-oriented, as you can tell. But I do want to thank our farmers. They clothe us and they feed us every day. And sometimes they're done. So a lot of these things you get in the grocery store don't hatch there. They have been through a lot of process and a lot of toil and sweat to get them To the grocery store. And I want to thank those guys and bless their heart.
0: You know, in the show here, the tagline to the show, if you will, is uh, exploring that one degree of separation between agriculture and life. The things we take for granted and the things we never stop to think about, that they came from somewhere. And obviously, pumpkins, good chance they came from Floyd Ada.
1: That is absolutely correct. Uh, And today on YouTube, you've got all of those people who are theorists and they're talking about what's going to happen. There's a lot of things that we can't control. There's a lot of things in farming we can't control. But the American farmer goes out there, and he does his absolute best to present. And you said the tagline is, how close is agriculture to life? Our food, along with our oxygen and our weather and all of that, that gives us life, we are very, very uh, attached to it and we sometimes take it for granted. Uh, a poor man uh, has something to eat in America today, and a rich man has something to eat in America today, and we all have to thank our farmer for and that is the first step in life. And from there, you make your own way to what you can enjoy.
0: You've been listening to Open Field Radio from Gowan Company. Like, share, subscribe, review. Everywhere podcasts are found. The views and opinions expressed by the guests of Open Field Radio are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of the program. All rights reserved. No duplication or redistribution without permission.